Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brand. Today is all about gut infections. This is like my bread and butter. I've worked on gut issues personally and clinically for over 10 years now. It's a huge source of problems in regards to depression, anxiety, fatigue, skin issues, insomnia, grinding your teeth, bipolar disorder, autism. I've seen several autistic children get way better after we fix their gut infections. I mean, gut infections, they really do involve every body system. They affect hormones. They affect detoxification. They affect the brain, cognitive function, brain fog, sugar cravings. I could go on and on and on if you want me to keep ranting, but I think you get the point. Gut infections are huge. So we're going to get into this. I think this is going to be a really helpful episode for you. I just want to read a review, new review on the podcast. Thank you for doing this. Beth Tave. Uh, She titled it Binders and Digestive Issues. She wrote, thank you for the episode on binders. I started working with Evan and his colleague Megan two months ago, and I'm at the stage where I'm being introduced to binders. Overall, the protocol I'm on is helping me tremendously. Energy level is up. I'm more regular. I have a clearer brain and hardly any nausea. The road of healing from digestive issues, candida, H. pylori, gluten sensitivity, possibly mold is not always upwards, but I've also been unwell going on three years, so I know it'll take time. And I felt the power of supplements. I've tried a couple naturopathic doctors and alternative medicine professionals before, but I really like Evan and Megan's style. I feel they add a level of sympathy and empathy to their approach that I seldomly come across. Thanks. So that's awesome. That's more of like a clinic review. But hey, I'm glad she put it on iTunes because people need to see that. I would love to hear your review too. If you listen to the show, you know, I'm up to over 12 million downloads now. But after all those downloads, we only have 564 five-star reviews. I want more because the more you guys review me, the more it helps me stay into the top of the health charts, and then we can get this information to the public. What we're talking about is revolutionary, but it shouldn't be. This should all be common knowledge that every human on the street corner knows, hey, parasites, yes, they can make you tired, they can make you anxious. Until that's common knowledge, my job is not done. And even then, my job's still not done. So please, review the show. If you use an iPhone, I will love you forever. Just look on your podcast app, click write a review, boom, give me some stars, whatever you think the show deserves. Give me a couple notes. I really, really, really appreciate it. Okay, let's get into the show. If you need help clinically, the website, I just refreshed it. Go check it out. I hope you take a deep breath when you check it out because it's supposed to be relaxing. I had a client yesterday say, oh, I love it. It's relaxing. So go to evanbrain.com even just to see if the website relaxes you or not. If it does, please report back. Let me know. Thanks for your feedback. And if you need help clinically, all the links are on the site there. All right, here we go. And we are live. It's Dr. J here in the house with Evan Brand. Today we're going to be chatting about your gut infections may be making you tired. Many people don't think about how their gut may be having an impact on your energy, your mood, your emotions, but it's totally true. Most people think, oh, if I have a gut issue, I'm just going to have bloating or diarrhea or constipation or acid reflux. Au contraire. And we're going to dive into that today. Evan, how are we doing today, man? Doing really well. How about, should I just go straight into my story then? I yeah. mean, I suffered with this thing firsthand, as you know. Yep, let's do it. So when I was down in Austin, I was losing weight, and I didn't know why I was losing weight. And turns out, and I was exhausted. That was that was the main thing. I mean, I was drained. Like, it was really tough for me to get through the day. I mean, I was to the point where, at some point, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. I mean, I was like, okay, am I, do I have enough energy to cook a meal? At, at night, you know, for dinner, like the, the work day just drained me. And so 
fortunately, after I got the gut infections resolved, I mean, the story is not much longer than that. My energy came back online. So, I mean, we can say clinically and personally that this is a big, big smoking gun for anybody that's been dealing with chronic fatigue. Oh, totally. 100%. Now, let's talk about some of the mechanisms. Why? Like, you could have constipation, you could have diarrhea, you could have all these digestive issues. That's fine. And it makes sense why some of these issues may be causing problems. Because if you're going to digest a lot of the nutrients that energize you, right, your B vitamins, your amino acids, your essential fatty acids to, to burn in the, in the mitochondria for fuel, all of these things require optimal absorption, right? So if we don't have adequate enzyme or acid level or, or biliary level to break down fats, proteins, and carbohydrates, we're going to have a problem with those nutrients getting into our bloodstream and making their way to our cells and our mitochondria to be burned for fuel. So that's one big mechanism. And the other big mechanism out of the gates, and we'll kind of expound deeper into each one, is the fact that your immune system sucks up lots and lots of resources. So think back to when you maybe got the flu or had some kind of an illness. Were you energized or were you tired? Most people were very tired. Now, why is that? It's because your immune system allocates lots and lots of resources when it's stressed. And it will make you tired because it'll pull some of those energy resources to put it towards fighting an infection, right? So if your immune system is chronically in that state of trying to fight something, whether it's a, a gut infection, SIBO, or a parasite, or just gut permeability issues that are upregulated due to bad foods and food allergens, you're going to be really over-stimulating and over-allocating resources to deal with whatever's happening with the immune system, aka the gut. And don't forget... 80% of your immune system is located in the gut. People forget that. So important. So if you're overstressing your immune system, you're going to have problems. Yep. And so for me, I was taking some immune supports, but it was all just kind of a band-aid, right? Because I wasn't focused on the underlying infection. So this time of the year, we're, we're talking in the fall here coming up on winter. You have a lot of people that'll say, well, you know, I'm, I really just want to strengthen my immune system. So they'll go and do maybe some extra vitamin C, maybe some medicinal mushrooms, or maybe some other herbs, astragalus, things like that. But it doesn't matter if you do all those, if you don't address the infection. So if someone's like tired and they feel weak, they feel depleted, they feel like they're possibly immunocompromised, sure, you can do some of the tools like we talk about those herbs, but really you got to test first of all, figure out what kind of infections you have. And then step two is you come in and make a protocol to fix those infections. And not to mention, you know, like H. pylori is super contagious. So, I mean, you and I have seen hundreds yep. and hundreds of cases where, you know, husband and wife have reinfected each other. And so, uh, we're not doing this to try to make more money. We're doing this to help the family. When we say, hey, what about your husband? What about your wife? When we try to get them on board, it's because we know about this potential you know, cross-contamination. 100%. So we kind of look at the gut and we're like, all right, where are the gut stressors coming from? So the first stressor we look at are food allergens. Because if your immune system is kind of responding negatively to food, that could be a big, a big issue, right? And it, what happens is... When food allergens kind of come in, whether it's gluten or, or dairy or just, you know, processed grains or sugars or um, even things like nuts or seeds or just more allergenic foods, soy, those kind of things, your immune system is upregulated dealing with those foods. And that's going to suck away resources. And also, these foods, if you have an allergen to them, if your body's hyperallergenic, meaning your immune system is over-responsive, there may be some gut permeability, and gut permeability is like these little tight junctions in the epithelium and the small intestines. They're like this. 
So imagine you're putting your hands together like you're saying a prayer. Now start pulling your fingers apart a little bit. You see the little gaps that happen? That's happening at a microscopic level with the tight junction cells in the small intestine. So the more you're stressing your gut lining, these tight junctions open up, like I mentioned, the fingers come further apart, and then food particulate, or we call it antigens, right? These foods aren't supposed to be in the bloodstream at the size they're in. But now you start having these antigens go into the bloodstream at a larger level, and now the immune system's gonna start going after it with full force. And that's gonna start sucking up a lot more of your resources. So the first thing when we're working with patients worldwide, we're trying to cut down the food allergenicity. We're trying to decrease the immune response by helping the foods not become so bad or stressful on the immune system. Now, some people coming in on a standard American diet, a paleo template may be enough. Some people that are really have an autoimmune issue or irritable bowel disease, we have to go to a paleo template where we're cutting out extra allergenic foods. Some we have to even go to a carnivore or some kind of an SCD, low, lower FODMAP diet because the bacteria is overgrown and, and it's reacting to even FODMAP foods like broccoli and onions and garlic, like healthy foods, we're reacting to it. And so it, this whole thing becomes a little bit more nuanced with food, the more unhealthy you become or the longer your conditions progress. So as a practitioner, right, we're trying to meet people where they're at. Some people come in at a really easy phase, they're, ju they're just diets crap, and, and we can just make a simple change with the paleo. Some we have to get a lot more nuanced. So let me ask you, 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 you brought up garlic. I had a woman last week actually, and she was complaining that garlic was a big issue for her. So we've already cleared out gut infections, and we've done a great job. We've retested, we've confirmed that we got rid of all the gut infections. We are doing some leaky gut support. But she says, every time I eat garlic, I get really bloated. What would you, what would you do? What would you say to that garlic person? Well, it could be a SIBO thing. So I'd want to test other FODMAP foods. So if there's some kind of a gut issue or like a bloat or a motility issue or a diarrhea or a constipation issue, we're going to be cutting out FODMAPs. These are fermentable carbohydrates, fructo, oligo, disaccharide, mono, and polyols. And we're going to do that, and then we're eventually do a reintroduction. And when we reintroduce foods, we're going to start with moderate FODMAPs first and then go to higher FODMAPs last. So those foods are higher FODMAPs. So the question would be, how did she do adding in the moderate ones first? So I'd, I'd want to know how she did incrementally adding things in. So like apples, she does fine, which was interesting because to me, I've had a lot more people have issues with apples than I have with garlic. So I thought, hmm. You know, is it really a, a bacterial overgrowth thing? The stool test didn't really show much in the, in the bacterial category. So it's kind of like, well. Well, people like that, I just want to see, is it a one-off? Is it just garlic or is it other foods like onions and broccoli and avocado, which is a moderate, or sweet potato, which is a moderate? I want to test more of the moderate FODMAPs, maybe add in some fermented foods like a kombucha or a sauerkraut. Did it happen with those too? If it's just a one-off, then it could be some die-off. It could just be she's having an issue with that food. So if it's a one-off, I don't really worry about one-offs. I look for patterns. Yeah. Like patterns are like part of being a good functional medicine doctor is pattern recognition. You're looking for patterns. Like some patients, they come to me, well, last week I had this happen or that. I'm like, I, we got to look at bigger picture. We got to have enough data points so we can look at patterns. Anything can happen one off due to stress or a poor night's sleep or you got exposure to some bad foods and now your gut's a little bit rocky for a few days. So we got to look at longer trends and really have a lot of good pattern recognition 
part of what we do, we're kind of CSI detectives and we got to look for things repeating itself because anything can happen one off. We don't want to change what we're doing or the programs that people are on off of just a one off issue. And that's what it was. It was a one off. And it was kind of, you know, frustrating for me because I'm thinking, well, crap, you know, everything else she's tolerating good. Any, any other problematic foods I'd kind of put in that same category that we thought would be a problem, they're not a problem. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, what kind of explanation can I give her? Because she wants some kind of good functional medicine answer for me, right? And so that's what I told her. I'm like, well, this sounds like just a, to be honest, kind of like a food sensitivity, particularly to the garlic. You know, I don't, looking at the testing, I told her I didn't really see anything that was compelling to indicate any other sort of issue and all the other foods were tolerated. So I kind of just gave it a, like a political answer. It was like, well, huh, you know? Yeah, well, what come, it's possible there could be just a, a her immune response is just a little bit more sensitive to it. If we don't see extra data points correlating to it, then I just tell patients, hey, let's just, we'll come back, we'll work on probiotics, we'll work on good re-inoculation of good healthy bacteria, we'll add in some prebiotic fibers. Every month we can try testing it again. But as long as oh, there's yeah. no, as long as there's no, let's just say, family of other foods that are interacting like this, then we're not going to really worry about it too much. But you can always retest, make sure the gut's doing good. But it's it's possible you have one-off allergen issues. It's possible. But every month yeah. we can always retest it and see. Yeah, good point. I, I, I did end up uh, throwing in a, a high-dose multi-strain probiotic so we're with a high amount of bifido. So we're going to see what happens. Yeah, and if this person can tolerate fermentable carbohydrates like sauerkraut and and maybe a little bit of kombucha. It's probably not a FODMAP issue because those things are very, very high in FODMAPs. It could be she's killing some stuff off. It could just be she's sensitive to garlic. It's possible. And so yeah, I just I tell mean, patients, hey, you know, that's an artifact. We just kind of make a note on it and we, we follow it down the road later on. If things kind of connect back to it down the road, that's nice. But if not, things that are one-offs, you don't want to, you don't want a one-off to derail your, your whole investigation. Yes, yes, that's a great You point. know, it's like you're, 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 you're like, you know, investigating a crime scene, then you have this weird piece of evidence that does not make sense, right? Yep. Okay, well, we'll make a note on that, and we'll come back to it if there's any patterns that, that point back to it down the road. Yep, yep, great. So so small tangent, but really helpful. I think it's, it's helpful for, for people to see how, how do you have to think when you're approaching these issues. It's not always black and white. You know, we try to refer back to clinical experience. We kind of sprinkle in some of the data, sprinkle in some previous case studies that we've done with people. So it's really fun. But back to the fatigue piece. Oh, so I just wanted to highlight one component because while you're on yeah, it, please. is when we are talking about these things, because we're clinicians and we see thousands of patients, we're operating more off of clinical concepts than like rote memorization of like of facts. And so when people listen to our podcast, we really want them to understand the overarching concepts of health. If you understand a concept, you don't really have to memorize it. If you're trying to memorize random facts and random this, then that becomes a little bit convoluted and a little bit stressful. So just try to get the overarching concepts that we're talking about here. Once you get the concept, you, you never have to worry about memorizing it. It's just there. Yep. Yep. Good. So I just wanted to go back to the to the fatigue piece because for certain people, there may be multiple layers of infections that are causing your fatigue. So for me, it was H. pylori. And then once I got rid of the H. pylori, then it was the parasites that were still causing me to be tired. And once I got rid of that, then I did have some candida that I had to address. So what I want people to know is that if you double down or triple down on something, you know, the guy tells you it's, it's parasites or the girl tells you it's this, 
and you pursue that and you're not better, it's possible that you've, you've missed something. And so I just want people to wrap their head around you. Like you say, you have permission to have multiple things wrong at the same time. So you could have a bacterial issue, a parasite issue, a candida problem all at the same time. And so you got to make sure you get all the data. If you just run a stool test, candida rarely shows up on the stool test. You and I've talked about this many times. So the urine test will often fill in the blank. So if you had one test done or your doctor ran this or that, and you feel like you're missing something, you probably are. So keep, keep digging. Yeah. Also, there's one study here just looking at H. pylori and mitochondrial function. I'll put it up on my screen. Um, but this is important, all right? And the reason why it's important, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna do a share here. So if you guys are listening to the podcast on YouTube, um, you'll be able to watch the video. If you're on iTunes, you know, you'll have to just click the YouTube link and you'll be able to see what we're talking about. If not, I'll try to describe it pretty well. Um, but you can see my screen here. Can you see my screen, Evan? Yep, H. pylori affects yeah. the mitochondrial yeah, function. Yeah, so this is important right here. So mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell. So this is really important. And, and the powerhouse of your cell generates ATP for energy. Now, if you look here at the bottom, they talk about they wanted to investigate whether there's an, an increased mutational load in mitochondrial genome. And what they found was they believe that the, there's a down regulation in the mitochondrial DNA repair pathway. What does that mean? It means how your mitochondria are re repaired and regenerated. It's going to be down regulated. So you're not going to be able to repair your, your mitochondria as fast. It's believed to be involved in mitochondrial base um, excision repair. Our results suggest that these genes, APE1 and YB1, just know that they're DNAs that are involved in mitochondrial DNA repair. Um, they're, they're demonstrated to be involved and they're demonstrated to be down regulated when there's an H. pylori infection. So it just means that your body's ability to generate ATP, which shows decreased respiration coupled APT. So you're not able to generate as much ATP and repair your mitochondria as well when you have an H. pylori infection. And this is something that we think is there with a lot of gut infections. It affects your mitochondria and your ability to repair it, which then affects your ATP um, synthesis. That is pretty crazy. I mean, especially if we're talking about an athlete who wants to perform, right? Yes. You'll have all these big uh, celebrity personal trainers yep. and stuff, and they'll just get people on different diet changes or, no, you need to do this exercise or this exercise, and they miss the boat. They don't have a clue about H. pylori being the root cause of the of the fatigue or the exercise performance. Yep. So it's just crazy. And then also there's a lot of um, right here, right here, one study, I've already looked at it before, if people are having gut issues and they go to their conventional gastroenterologist, well, what are they typically prescribing? Well, a lot of times they're prescribing antibiotics, right? And there's a lot of data, bactericidal antibiotics induce mitochondrial dysfunction and oxidative damage. And so we know this is something that's actually present where there's damage to the mitochondria with antibiotics. Well, so, and, and, and to be clear, uh, for H. pylori, it's not just one antibiotic. It's three or even yep. four. They have what they call quadruple therapy now, which just the name of it scares me. It's literally four antibiotics at the same time. And you and I have both seen patients that have had triple or quadruple therapy done. And guess what? We retest them. And unfortunately, due to antibiotic-resistant bacteria, the infections are still there. So now we have to come in, repair all the mitochondria that were damaged, plus use herbs, which are much, much safer. And in my experience, just as, if not more effective, and then we actually get rid of the bugs. Yeah, you see the summary here, mitochondrial dysfunction and oxygen damage induced by bacterial cytal antibiotics, which is interesting because uh, all antibiotics are bacterial cytal. 
So interesting, they use that description. Uh, it's mammalian cells. I'm not sure which mammals they use. Uh, but they talked about that it's alleviated by antioxidants. Well, guess what? When we use a lot of the clearing herbs that we use, guess what they're rich in? Antioxidants. I mean, antioxidants. That, that's the benefit. I mean. That's the benefit of a lot of the herbs that we use. They have a lot of antioxidants in them to help buffer the oxidative stress. Because remember, oxidative stress is part of what happens with the antibiotics. And we have a similar effect with herbs, but the herbs have a lot of antioxidants, which is helpful. Any comments on that, Evan? Well, what you're saying makes us look really good because not only are we giving nutrients that can effectively get rid of the infections, but we're also protecting the system or even replenishing antioxidants because in general antioxidants are going to be reduced because of all the oxidative stress from the infection in the first place so it's literally like a win-win for us and for the person under the protocol yep and there's lots of different studies here as well on probiotics and beneficial bacteria correcting mitochondrial dysfunction with probiotics there's, there's definitely studies on this as well and again I, you know these are things that we've seen in our practice like when you see someone uh, get better, so protection of hepatocyte mitochondrial function by blueberry juice probiotic. So there's lots of studies on this because when you see patients get better with certain beneficial bacteria after you do an elimination, you're like, hmm, why does that work? And so what happens is you see a clinical outcome, patient getting better when you do something, and then you're like, hmm, what could the mechanism be? And then you chase it down online and you're like, oh, maybe that's it. You know, maybe it has to do with the fact that it's helping the mitochondria. When people um, feel better afterwards, maybe that's the mechanism. It's possible, right? Yeah. Any other comments on that? Well, it's a lot of good things happening. And then you mentioned the probiotic piece. So that's going to help even more. So after we get someone on a killing protocol, there's going to be good benefits there. Your energy is probably going to get better just based on doing that. And then when you go to the next phase, if we're going to come into the uh, gut healing phase, you're going to get even better then. So it's, it's really fun for us to kind of paint the picture here of just how. How is someone going up, 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 better, better, better? And you've just outlined how. So. Yeah, they talked about it right here. They talked about in conclusion, the study showed this is BP stands for blueberry juice and probiotic. Uh, exhibit a synergistic effect preventing the development of, uh, and that's non-alcoholic fatty liver disease by protecting mitochondrial function, suppressing the damage of mitochondrial ultrastructure by reducing mitochondrial swelling, right? So mitochondrial damage by antibiotics, as well as we could do the same thing when we search, let's say pesticides or heavy metals or mold toxins. So we know the gut plays a big role in one, helping to absorb those nutrients, but number two, also helping to um, have beneficial bacteria that modulate these, uh, this inflammation and mitochondrial damage as well. Yep, yep, well said. Excellent. Well, it's good. That's just a couple of studies. I mean, when we look at, like we look at research a lot differently. So just kind of everyone there, we look at clinical outcomes in patients and then we chase them back to what the literature says. The problem is a lot of people who are clinicians, they'll look at the literature and then they'll try to then come up with a clinical like decision based on the literature. And that sometimes is really hard to do because a lot of the PhDs and a lot of the research out there isn't necessarily clinically driven. Uh, it may be driven because someone has a PhD in this area and they're just they're just studying that topic because, or maybe it's an NIH-funded study. Who knows, right? So we're looking at things that are clinically driven, not research-driven because someone has decided to dedicate their life to this topic and this is the study they're choosing, right? Now, it's good that we can 
kind of pull out some studies to help back up what we're saying, but it's not like we go into PubMed to try to figure out exactly what we're going to do. The clinical stuff is really, that's where all the magic happens. Yeah, and some may say we have a confirmation bias in how we look for these things, but we're not looking for it out of the blue. We're looking for it because we've seen clinical outcomes support something is happening in that direction. And then we use the data, the research to say what could be if positive things are happening in this direction, A to B, what could be the mechanism of why that is? And so we kind of chase it backwards versus the other way around. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's a blast. It, it is fun for you to pull that stuff up, right? Because, you know, we, we get we get used to our our methods, we get used to our results, but when you get to see in the literature like that, antibiotics causing mitochondrial damage, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot, that's why we do this. Yes, exactly. We're, we're, we don't want people to get damaged. And you get confident when you see things repeat itself clinically, you're like, okay, something's happening here now, what? So you're going at it with a lot more confidence versus like, hey, I think maybe, you know, I've heard this, it's a hearsay kind of thing. No, you, you've seen it, you've seen it clinically. And so that well, gives us a well, lot more confidence. The, Here's the thing that's always fun for me is when we're, we're on the topic of fatigue and gut infections. And so when you have a case where you do the follow-up and someone is reporting that they have significantly more energy and you didn't give them any energy supplements, you just fixed their gut. You just gave them some liver, maybe some enzyme support, some gallbladder support, and then you killed the infections and all of a sudden, boom. I'm 20% more energetic. I always smile and laugh simultaneously because it's like, this is so fun. We have 20% more energy and we did zero energy supplements. That's just super Yeah, cool. it's powerful. Now, if people start feeling a little bit worse, then we got to be very careful. So when people start feeling worse, I'm like, all right, we got to spend more time uh, building up the adrenals. We got to make sure the diet's clean because if someone's gut is, over, like if you're putting lots of bad foods in and you're inflaming the gut, then you're immune system and also your adrenals maybe making more resources to deal with the inflammation in your gut. So we have to decrease the inflammation in our gut and support the adrenals by calming it down. Now the adrenals have more resources and of course we always like supporting the adrenals ahead of time so then you have natural, more of your natural anti-inflammatories because conventional medicine when there's serious gut issues they're going to give prednisone and cortisol well let's just support your body's ability to make that naturally and then when we go into a gut clearing phase then we have more of those resources on board and then if patients are sensitive i'm titrating the herbs in there slowly so we're not overwhelming the system by killing more you know bacterial toxins lps endotoxins mycotoxins we're not overwhelming the lymphatic system the detoxification immune system so we're going to kind of really titrate things in a little bit slower if you're more sensitive and we may even add things like binders and glutathione too yeah yeah the glutathione's good for me i had to take a break from it for a little while it was just too strong it does mobilize toxins too so this is all case by case basis but uh, yeah, I love glutathione when it works, but when you take too much, that's no good. Yeah, always, always a, a right dose. Yeah, if you're slow, if you're like more sensitive, always start low, work your way up, and then if you're sensitive, you can always start with just a gentle binder first. As long as you're not getting constipated, that's a good first step on increasing things. Yeah, that's great. So let's see here. Um, the other component I would say is people that have gut issues 
tend to also have immune issues. We already talked about why. 80% of your immune system is in the GALT. That's the gastric associated lymph tissue that's in the stomach. And then um, also the malt. That's the mucosal associated lymph tissue. Lymphoid meaning like lymphocytes, white blood cells, and that's in the small intestine. And so if you have a lot of gut permeability issues, if your gut's over-responding, well, what's the most common autoimmune condition that affects people? And, and mostly women, five times more women, is autoimmune thyroid. And so if you have an autoimmune thyroid, that could also be affecting your energy because you now your thyroid gland is being attacked and your body's ability to generate thyroid hormone may be decreased. And it's possible that your conventional doctor has overlooked that. And so knowing that there's an autoimmune thyroid could be affecting your energy too. And if you have an attack, you could feel hyper where you're like anxious, can't sleep, irritable, sweating, right? First, and then you go to a hypo where you're like tired, fatigued, depressed, right? So you could easily be going hyper and hypo swings based on autoimmune tax of the thyroid. Yeah, and once again, the Hashimoto's could be a side effect of something else. So even if you go to the endocrinologist, let's say they were a more advanced endocrinologist, for example, hopefully they're running thyroid antibodies, TPO, TG, maybe TSI, and they're looking at that and maybe they're treating your thyroid, giving you desiccated glandulars or natrothroid or just synthroid or cytomel. Even then, you see how people can fall between the cracks and not get better because yeah, you've kind of cranked up the thyroid that was hypo due to autoimmunity, but you still never got to the gut infection that started it all. Bingo. Bingo, 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 100%. That's why we got to look at always the root cause. So anything else you wanted to talk about here on the gut and the fatigue? I think we hit the thyroid. Of course, I alluded to the adrenals earlier because they play a huge role in regulating inflammation. And we know acute gut issues, they may be, they may be given a corticosteroid to calm down the gut inflammation. That's possible too. So we want to support your body's ability to do it naturally. Um, I would also say supporting protein breakdown. So with maybe adding in free form amino acids, because protein can be very hard on the body to break down. So of course, dialing in enzymes and acids and maybe giving extra free form amino acids. So it's taking stress off the digestive system to be able to access those amino acids as well. I think I think you've hit it all. I mean, I would just say, kind of where do you go next is you really have to get the data. I mean, we've talked about a lot, right? But if you don't have the data, you don't know what you're up against, you don't know what you're doing. So, you know, I think the best advice I could give is if you're dealing with these issues, test, don't guess. And so, you know, feel free to reach out to Dr. J, Justin, at justinhealth.com and he can run labs on you anywhere in the world and send them to your door and jump on a call and discuss it, make a great protocol to help you to get better. Same thing for me, my website, evanbrand.com, and we're available. We love helping you all. We're grateful to be in this position. So, you know, sure, you know, a lot of you listening are kind of do-it-yourselfers. That's what led you to be smart and find a podcast anyway because you want to kind of educate yourself. But there's a certain point where it's okay to reach out, and I tried to fix myself for a long time, and you spend more money and you spend more time doing that. So, you know, feel free to reach out and get a guide. 100%. And then you're available at evanbrand.com worldwide. We're available worldwide and we're, we're clinicians. We have our sleeves rolled up and we're in the trenches every day dealing with patients. Also, if you're listening to this, don't just kind of glom on to one thing. So we see lots of people that are like, that come in like, oh, I know it's H. pylori or I know it's candida or I know it's SIBO. Keep an open mind on what's happening because you have the right to have more than one issue going on at the same time. And for instance, Evan's original story was Evan had, and I could have it wrong, I think you had H. pylori, Giardia, and a crypto? 
That's correct. Yeah, yep. H. pylori, Giardia, crypto. Those are some serious infections. Any one of those infections is serious and could, could have created the symptoms Evan was having, yet he had all three at the same time. So if Evan was like, oh, it's only H. pylori, you know, he may have missed the fact that Giardia and crypto were involved too. So go into it with an open mind and you have the right to have more than one infection happening at the same time. Uh, sad but true, but either way, there are solutions to work on it and fix it. I was tired. Yeah. Man, I was tired. Whew. Absolutely. That was a that was a that was a level of exhaustion that just doesn't even seem real. I mean, that's how you know something's wrong when you're that tired. But you know, hopefully, uh, with this education we're providing, people can reach out and work on this before it gets to that crisis level because it's much easier to pull you out if you're not that deep. Now, Evan, can you go to your conventional medical doctor or gastroenterologist and typically get these infections picked up on? No, definitely not. The testing is just so outdated. You know, it's not sensitive like the DNA stuff we're using. So that's the downside is if you go to the gastro doc down the road, say, hey, I think I've got Giardia. I heard these two guys on the internet talk about it. They'll probably just laugh in your face and say, well, you didn't travel to any third world countries, so you don't have it. But if you if you really want to, Sally, I'll test you and they'll run their outdated test and then everything comes back negative. And then they'll say, see, I told you it was all in your head. Just, you know, take an acid blocker. So, yes, my opinion is very similar. So if you, the more acute you are, especially with typical gastrointestinal symptoms, the greater chance they'll pick you up especially if you came back from like Mexico or some kind of a country like Bali where infections are, are, are probable, right? But now what do you do if your infections aren't really gut-based symptoms? They're the fatigue or the brain fog. Well, then how does that get picked up? You're typically never going to get picked up for that. You're more than likely to, to get a psych referral for an antidepressant, right? than to get a, a gut test. And Evan already alluded to some of the technology they have isn't going to be as up to par. So we have a little bit you know, more access to the DNA technology, a little bit more sensitive. And then also like H. pylori testing, they may run a breath test, right? A urea breath test and look for elevated levels of CO2. It's possible, but that may miss an infection. And if it's more subclinical, you may need a more sensitive test to pick it up. So if you're listening and you're like, hey, I'm going to go to my MD, that may not be the solution. I may not get you the answers you want. And if you don't have the typical gut symptoms, diarrhea, bloating, gas, a lot of stomach discomfort and irritability, you may not even, they may not even want to run a test because those symptoms don't match with what they think the problem could be. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it sounds like we're like picking on them, right? And we sort of are, and that's fine. I love picking on them because they're failing people. And it makes me sad because I was there, I was sitting in the doctor's office trying to get help. And I was told that I just needed an acid blocking medication. I told the doc, no, I feel better when I take it. Uh, enzymes that actually increase my stomach acid. I think you're wrong. She said, that's not possible. You're going to hurt yourself. You need to stop taking supplements, stop all dietary supplements, the FDA, blah, 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 blah. And, and that was it. And that's when I signed off and said, no, I, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. And I do recommend, and I think you're in the same way. I do recommend patients that have chronic issues or acute issues, at least go see your conventional medical doctor just to get checked off that there's no, nothing glaring that's going on. And that, that way, if you they work with someone like myself or you have, and then they've kind of already been looked at and they've kind of already know, okay, conventional medicine's kind of done all, all they can do. And you know, functional medicine is the next best option at that point. 
Yeah, I'm not saying we're the all-knowing at all. If you're bleeding out of your butt, you need to go confirm you don't have some type of a bleeding ulcer or colon cancer or some type of a polyp issue or diverticulitis and you need colon surgery. I mean, there are certain things that we can't help with, but for these more functional, non-pathological issues, we're definitely going to be able to help. And we can help with all those issues once they're stable. If they're unstable, though, conventional medicine does a really good job on stabilizing very sensitive issues. But once they're stable, now what? Because for the most part, it's going to be just symptom drug management for the rest of your life, right? If you look at what they talk about, it's, hey, we're managing your gut issue versus let's actually get you the root underlying issue. And sometimes management's good when things are acute and flared, but now when they're stable, now what? We want to go beyond just who wants to just manage their diarrhea for the rest of their life. That's crazy, right? Oh, God. Well... That happens every day, doesn't it? Yep. It's happening today while we're doing this call. Somebody's in the doctor's office right now about to get an antispasmatic drug for their diarrhea. Yeah, and that may be fine acutely, but then what's next? So get your health issues under control from a you know a, st- a stable standpoint and then work on the next step with a good functional medicine doctor. Well, everyone, it was excellent chatting with y'all. Any, Evan, anything uh, you want to leave us with, Evan? No, that's it. We're just uh, ranting at this point. So if you need help, please reach out. JustinHealth.com, EvanBrand.com. Take great care of yourself. We'll be back. Have a good one, y'all. Take care. Bye now. Bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for making it to the end. Hope it was helpful. I guess it means it was if you made it to the end. Or are you one of those people that's like listening to my podcast as you put yourself to sleep? I'm cool with that, but (laughs) I just hope you're retaining some of the information. Anyhow, Go check out the website. I refreshed it. I think it looks great. I wanted it to be relaxing. As soon as you go to my website, I want you to be able to just go, oh, yeah. So go to evanbrand.com. Report back by reviewing me on iTunes. Go on your podcast app and just hit write a review. Let me know. Did you take a deep breath when you got to the website? If so, please report back. Would love to hear it. And give me a couple notes about the show. Tell me what you think, what you like. I would really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. And also uh, clinically, I already mentioned it, but if you need help, please reach out, evanbrand.com slash free. That's the link that I have in the podcast notes there. You should see that. And uh, that's where you can book a 15-minute free call with Megan. And she'll chat with you about your symptoms, your goals, and we'll see if you're a good fit for care. And that's it. Look forward to talking with you again next week. The course is closed, the Better Belly course, so if you missed enrollment, sorry about your luck. I told you ahead of time. Hopefully you had advance notice. If you didn't and you want to ask us about late enrollment, you can. You can email my office, and uh, we want to hear your story, and then we'll probably let you enroll. All right, take good care. Talk to you later. Bye.